Well, again, good morning, everyone. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Good morning, everyone. City Church is based upon a very simple mission. Our mission is calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. Calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. As part of that, we have stepped into a teaching series that's been entitled Remember, to remember. And oftentimes, remembering seems as though you're kind of anchoring yourself backwards into the past, but that's not what we're talking about here at City Church. What we're doing is we're looking at the primary things when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and saying, what does Scripture call us to remember? The first teaching that I did focused on the idea of remember the Lord's death until he comes. So the first teaching focused directly on communion. Remember the Lord's death. And we talked about the uncomfortability of that. People don't want to remember death. They want to remember life. And yet Scripture calls us every time we take communion, we are called to remember the Lord's death. This week, what I want us to focus on is to remember God's love for you in Jesus. To remember God's love for you in Jesus. And as part of that, I'm going to invite two people out here to help me to make my first point. And as they're coming out and getting ready to help me with the first point, what I want to simply stress is this. Oftentimes in our culture, people will say everyone is a child of God. But what I want to explain to you very carefully is this. The Bible tells us something different. The Bible says we are all created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. But the Bible says something totally different about stepping into what it means to be a child of God. Every person is created in the image of God. But there's a response, there's movement from us in order to step into being what the Bible calls us, a child of God. Now, in order to help me with the first point, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. I'm going to do something a little different. Please stand. I know it's been Christian calisthenics this morning, but if you would stand. And as you stand with me, the first point that I want to make as we consider God's love for me, God's love for you in Jesus, we're going to sing a worship chorus. We're going to sing a worship tune. And as we do, I want you to listen to what you're singing. And as you do, I want you to recognize real time God's love for you in Jesus. Does that make sense? So as we sing this, I want you to reflect deeply on the fact of God's love for you in Jesus. Are you ready? All right, take it away. You unravel me with a melody 
sing that again and as we do I want you to picture this as point one in the sermon and it's this God's love for you in Jesus and I'd like for us to sing this as a declaration of God's love that I'm no longer a slave to fear instead I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's sing this together again. thing one more time. Would you lead us? In my mother's womb, you have chosen me. people a hand for coming up to lead us. Can I be honest with you? I have watched a pervasiveness of fear hit our culture. It's like a thick marine layer cloud that just seems to hover. And I don't believe for a millisecond we are to be subject to that. God calls us to be his child. And in becoming his child, we are not a slave to fear. We're not. This morning, I want us to take a look very in-depth. In an in-depth way, I'm going to talk to us about God's love for you in Jesus. God's love for you in Jesus. And my explicit prayer and my goal is that by the end of this teaching that you will exit here and have something to remember, something to hang on to when you feel as though you're slipping back into defeat 
or discouragement. The first text, because I believe that Scripture is alive, the Bible says Scripture is alive, and I believe it is, I'm going to ask that all of us together would read Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to talk about this verse for a few moments. You'll find it on page 914. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what Scripture guarantees us. Can we read this out loud together? Out loud. We ready? But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One more time. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I get an amen? When I look at that verse, it speaks to me in unique ways as we remember God's love for you and for me in Jesus. It's unique. As we look at this verse, here's what I know some of us believe. Here's what we really believe. We believe that God, through Jesus, loves us up into the point where we do something wrong. And when we do something wrong, God loves us up into this point. This is the darkness of doing something wrong. And then we believe that God's love picks up with us again after we exit that. In other words, God loves me, he cares for me, and then maybe there's a two-hour episode. Maybe it's a two-day episode. Maybe it's a two-week episode. Maybe in your life it's been a two-month episode or a two-year episode. Some of us, maybe it's been a two-decade episode. But we believe that God loves us up until this point, and then when we begin to exit that, we exit that sin or that darkness, that God's love's waiting for us, and then picks up with us again. Now, a lot of people say they don't believe that, but the truth of it is that's how they live. And so what I think about is this. The scripture that we just read in Romans 5.8 says this. When Pete Hartwig was out there sinning, God still loved me. There wasn't a break. He didn't love me up until here, until I did this and then picks me up again. What Romans 5.8 tells me is this is that while I was out there sinning, God loves me. He does. And when we look at this text, Scripture says that God demonstrates His own love for us while we were still what? Sinning. While we were still sinning, God loves us. And that the demonstration of His love is this, Christ died for us. So look at it this way. When Pete Hartwig was sinning and was moving through selfishness and darkness and chaos and dysfunction, 
God was responding very differently. While I was out there doing that, God through Christ, while I was being selfish, he was being selfless. While I was out there sinning, he invested his son into sin, and sin always brings death. While I was out there perpetuating chaos, because sin always perpetuates chaos, God, through Christ, was establishing order in a chaotic world. And while I was out there displaying myself, God was displaying love. And so when I think about Pete Hartwig, and I think about Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Romans 5, 8 says this, this is the clearest demonstration of God's love for you and for me. And it's this, that while I was sinning, Christ died for me. It's personal. He died for me. And so when I look at that, all of a sudden I begin to understand something. And that is, is the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of it. If God went to that extent because of what I was doing, then there's something serious about it. Let me give the following illustration of what I mean. This has happened to several friends of mine because once you begin to hit the age of 50, some of your friends begin to struggle with health issues. This has happened to several friends of mine and it recently happened similar to this with another friend of mine. My friend went to the doctor and said, I haven't been feeling the best. So the doctor looked at him, kind of examined him a little bit, and in the midst of the examination, listened to his heart. And in listening to his heart, the doctor said, you will be in surgery tomorrow. What? I came in here to get an Advil, and I'm leaving with a double bypass in open heart surgery. You see, this recently similarly happened to a friend of mine. He goes in. Something doesn't feel quite right. Doc listens to his heart and says, time out. You're going to have open heart surgery within the week. And the response of the doctor was what convinced my friend, Houston, we have a problem. Because when the doctor says, if I could, I'd put you on a gurney and wheel you down the hallway and we would crack your chest open right now. But the table's full. So you got to wait, but before the week's out, you're going to have open heart surgery. And all of a sudden, these friends of mine, this one in particular, goes, oh my goodness, what I thought was a little thing is huge. And the response of the doctor and the drastic measure that the doctor is going to be taking is just this clarion alarm. Something is dreadfully wrong. Well, I know if you're like me. I can rationalize almost anything. And if I want to do something, man, I can make it seem so right. But here's what Scripture tells us. Romans 5, 8. But God 
demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That sin is serious. Sin brings chaos. Sin perpetuates dysfunction and brokenness. But while I was out there doing that, Christ died for me. It's serious. Extremely serious. But on the good side, here's what this this verse teaches me. You see, if because I was out there doing that, in love, God responded through Christ, and the huge thing that Christ did for me, what it begins to tell me is this, I didn't earn it. It's not something I did in order to get God to love me. As a matter of fact, what caused Christ to become the demonstration of God's love is something that I feel God ought to give me the left foot of fellowship for. He ought to kick me out. But isn't it incredible the response of God to my sin? He responds in love through Christ going to the cross for me. See, most of us believe that we have to get all prettied up for God. Look, I remember when I first met my wife. When I saw her, we were in graduate school. I saw her in the library. When I saw her, the Holy Spirit put these words in my mouth. Hubba hubba. (laughs) But oh, good Lord, if I could just sit next to her, Jesus, I would serve you for the rest of my days. How many of you have ever bargained with God like that, right? So I remember seeing her. Well, you know, to win her love, I went into best behavior mode. Best behavior. Cleaned out the car. Actually, just threw everything in the trunk, right? You just (laughs) throw and then pray, oh, dear God, I pray she doesn't look in the trunk, right? And you kind of clean up a little bit. You get your hair cut. Finally, brush your teeth. Take a shower. You know, you do the things. And what you're wanting to do is win their affection. That's what you're doing. And so I would hang around her and get close to her. Man, I would sit in church services like this because we started attending church together. And I would sit next to her. I would just pray, dear Jesus, I pray that the pastor would ask us to hold hands (laughs) during prayer. Because I always feel Jesus when I hold her hand. It just does something inside of me. By the way, that's why we always encourage holding of hands here. I'm trying to repay back. I'm paying it forward, what had been blessed to me. So here I am. Man, I am on my best behavior, brushing my teeth, taking a shower, putting on cologne, smiling. Man, I'm trying to win love. Here's what Romans chapter 5, 8 says. When I was cursing God, when I was letting him know I want nothing to do with you, when I was on my worst behavior intentionally, and when I was refusing everything I knew was right, that is when God demonstrated his love for me. That's incredible to me. 
Because most of us believe that in order for God to love me, I must move towards God, put on my best behavior, take a spiritual shower, try to get cleaned up, and yet Romans 5.8 strikes at the heart of that and says this, when you were at your worst, and intentionally so, God, God demonstrated his love for you in Jesus. And that love was so extreme and so all in, and so abandoning that Jesus Christ died for you and for me. You know what's amazing? Is that the word here that says demonstrates is a fascinating word. It actually has sort of a definition in the original language that means this, to stand with, to stand with. In other words, if there is a demonstration, what will happen is someone will get up and make a rallying cry, and then other people will stand with them. We've seen a lot of that in our culture over the last couple of years. Public demonstrations. And there are people who have stood with other people, and those people that have chosen to demonstrate with them have not been personally offended, but they've said, I'm going to stand with that other person. I'm going to stand with that other group that has been offended or wrong has been done to them. You see, the word demonstrate means to stand alongside of or to stand with. And here's what Romans 5.8 literally says, that God stands with us in his love while we are sinning by Christ dying for us. That's incredible. Look, I was raised in a home where there were specific rules. There were certain rules. My dad had three rules, and I'm not going to say them because some of you would violently disagree with them, so I can't say them all. But the third one was this. If you see trouble, walk away. Because here's what he said, if you do something dumb and you get in with other people and do something illegal and you get arrested, here's what he said, don't call me, I'm not coming. It's a true story. Let me tell you, I can remember being in high school and some crazy stuff started happening and I could hear my dad's voice, you get arrested, don't call me, I'm not coming. That'll make you leave a whole lot of things, trust me. You know what Romans 5.8 says? When you're out there doing illegal, stupid stuff, I'm the God that stands with you in it. I pursue you in it. I chase you into it. And I demonstrate my love. I stand with you in your sin. Thank God my heavenly father is better than my earthly father. But as I look at Romans 5.8, there's something that captures my heart, and it's this. The love of God is not something that you can earn. 
The love of God for you in Jesus is not something that you can take a spiritual shower for. You can't do something so perfectly that that love is given to you. No, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives you through Christ and what he did on the cross. Because the truth of it is, is if it was incumbent upon me, I would either never get there or I would clean myself up, I would pursue perfection in human strength, and when I finally got it, I would become arrogant because God loves me. You see, there's this sense of a turn if you really believe you have to do enough good things and the scale of the good begins to outweigh the bad, what I promise you will happen is two things. Number one, if you believe that it's good works that earns your love from God, I can promise you, you will never know when you've gotten there. How many good works does it take to outweigh your bad ones? At what point were the scale tip? You'll never know. Never. And if you believe it does tip, it won't be long before you'll begin to boast and be filled with pride because you've gotten it right. That's what Scripture teaches us about the love of God through Christ for you and for me in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we're going to place them on the screen, says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, what Christ has done for you and for me is because we were sinners. That's why he died. That's why it's the clearest expression of the love of God, Christ's execution on the cross is the clearest demonstration of the love of God as he demonstrates he stands with us in our sin through the death of his son. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 stands in front of us and says this, it is by grace that you've been saved as you, as you put your faith in Jesus. It is not incumbent upon you. It is not from you. It is a gift of God. And it's definitely not by works because if it was, you'd brag. You see, the writer of Scripture knows us. He knows how we operate. That idea of what Christ has done for us is by grace. It's a gift. And like every gift, it calls us to open it and to put it on and to utilize it and to walk in it. You see, the love of God is clearly expressed to you and to me through Christ. That's how this works. The powerful thing here is, is that that gift is offered to us at our worst, not at our best. It's at our worst, not our best. Now, if he loves me at my very worst, and if Christ's crucifixion is the clearest demonstration of the love of God, then it's something that we cling to, that we hold to. 
But what I know is, because of the numbers of people in this auditorium, some of us started there, but we have drifted. We have drifted. We would say with our mouth that we believe everything that we've heard up until this point, but the daily grind of life or what's really in our hearts really shows that we don't fully believe it and receive it as God offers it to us. So what I want us to do is to take a look at another verse of Scripture or verses of Scripture. It's found in Galatians chapter 3. Because in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, we're going to read through verse 3 on page 944 in the Bibles we provide, we're going to find that this shift is something that even happened 2,000 years ago. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in the Newer Testament, the Galatian church. Here's what he writes to the church. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who's put voodoo on you? He goes on to write, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly as in a portrait painted beautifully, has been clearly portrayed as what? As crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So 2,000 years ago, the people in the church of Galatia would have said a loud amen to everything that's been said up until this point in this sermon. But the problem was, they had begun to shift. They had started out believing that salvation was by grace through faith, that it was a gift of God. They had started out believing that Romans was true, that Christ died for us at our worst, and it's upon that and that alone that we are made right with God. But they had begun to add a few things. It was Jesus plus some things. It was Jesus plus his death in the sense of that's accurate, but they begin to add other things. And they began to do things in their flesh. They were trying to earn the love of God. There were certain legal rules that had begun to enter in. I know for my family, the second church we ever went to, we were totally unchurched. We'd never been to church. The first church that we went to, I loved it. It was a church full of hippies. It was the end of what's called the Jesus movement, and the hippie movement was just finally winding down. So we started going to this church. Out of nowhere, my mother began to take us to this church, and it was filled with hippies. I loved it. Here's why. Long hair and dressing the way they did was everything my dad hated. Everything. Short hair, hard work. Look at these people. They're awesome. Like nine. These people do nothing. They lounge around. They do nothing. They don't even cut their hair. These people are awesome. Remember sitting in this church and hearing story after story of someone getting up and saying, I was sexed out, drugged out, rock and rolled out, 
I heard so many young men and women say, I tried everything I could find that would satisfy my flesh, and I came up empty, and then I met Jesus. And that whole church was about grace. Oh, it was about changed lives and a call to holiness. But it was also about the grace of Jesus that he loves you right where you're at. Then we shifted churches. Here's what I noticed. All the women began to get the same haircut. And they all looked just like the pastor's wife. Wouldn't be long when you were at this church where if you had longer hair as a man or a boy, meaning me, Someone would come up to you and say, mm, better cut that hair. You're looking a little rebellious. Well, it was touching the ears. I guess somehow Satan gets involved when your hair touches your ears. I never could figure that out. Let me tell you, it happens so easily, doesn't it? Oh, we say salvation is by grace. It's the love of Christ when we're sinners. But it just doesn't play out like that much. And here the Galatian church had shifted. They had started out with Christ and Him crucified. They had started out with the book of Romans dead center. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. But they had begun to add things. To which the Apostle Paul approaches them. And he says to them in this context in verse 2. Did you receive Jesus by grace, through faith, or did you work for him? Which was it? And in verse 3, he says this, you started one way, but you're trying to finish another. That doesn't work. It's either by grace, through faith, and that's how you run the whole race, or it's not. And the apostle Paul confronts them and stands before them and says, you need to recalibrate and get back to Christ and Him crucified and the gift of God to every sinner. The final verse that I would like for us to look at is Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. When we talk about God's love for us in Jesus, I love the following verse that we're getting ready to read, these two verses. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Let's read it together. Out loud, ready? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone ought to shout, Amen. Amen. Because that is the love of God. The love of God is something that cannot be torn away from us. And I love that the Apostle Paul wrote this. You see, the Apostle Paul was what was called a Pharisee. He had lived his life living 613 Jewish laws every day. These laws governed everything from how he took a bath 
to how he ate his food and what he ate, when and where and how he would talk to people, who he would talk to people, who he wouldn't talk to. Those 613 laws governed every area of his life. The Apostle Paul said this about himself, I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I lived the law, but it came up short. So instead, he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present or the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, God's love for you in Jesus. God's love for you in Jesus. The first point of this sermon was simple. We sang it. I am no longer a slave to fear. Maybe in your life, before you exit today because of Jesus, you could say this. I am no longer a slave to hate. Maybe you could say before you exit, I am no longer a slave to money. Maybe you could say, I am no longer a slave to shame. I'm no longer a slave to popularity. I'm no longer a slave to myself. And I am no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because when I was out there sinning, God demonstrated his love for me that Christ died for me. You see, we are called in Scripture to remember God's love in Jesus. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I'm going to ask us to remember God's love in Jesus. You can't earn it, can't buy it. It's a gift that God gives freely as we accept that gift through faith in Christ. I want you to know that while you were out sinning, that you came to that darkness, you exited that darkness, or maybe yet you're still in it. Christ loves you. God does not abandon you. God is with you. He demonstrates it through Christ. He stands with you in the demonstration of his love. I have a question for you. Will you open your heart to him by faith? It's how you receive it. You receive the gift of the love of God as demonstrated through Jesus, through faith. You say yes to it. You can't earn it. Can't work for it. Can't polish yourself up to get it. You receive it. And so as we exit our time, 
I have a question. Have you accepted the love of Christ? Have you said yes to him? Have you opened your heart to him by faith? Remember God's love for you in Jesus. It is so amazing. As we conclude our time together in prayer, I'm going to ask that all of us would close our eyes into God's presence. I know that some of us here this morning have been checking out faith. Faith is something that you've been looking at for a period of time. I would submit to you that you are not here by mistake. God brought you here this morning as an extension of his love and his gift of grace so that you would have an opportunity to believe and receive Christ. If you're here this morning and you know that you need Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would just pray a simple prayer with me. You pray it between you and God. This is the same prayer that I prayed so many years ago as a preteen boy in a hippie church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And the prayer went something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is that I have sinned. I have done stuff that I knew was wrong. And I did it willingly and willfully. Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you apply your cross to my life? Would it be true for me that what God demonstrated in love through you would be applied to my sin, my dysfunction, my chaos, my flesh, my desires in my life? Jesus, I receive you. I accept you. I say yes to you. And I believe that Romans chapter 5, 8 is for me. That God, you have demonstrated your love for me in this. That while I was a sinner, you died for me. You did that for me. Thank you, Jesus. Continuing with our eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you before you exit that you would tell someone that you prayed that prayer. And then if you would stop by the welcome station off to the right as you exit the auditorium, I'm going to ask Pastor Gabe to be there to meet with you, and we've got some basic materials that will help you in your faith journey. We also have people here at City that would love to meet with you if you've accepted Christ to answer questions to walk with you. Now let's turn our attention to the rest of us. Have you become a slave to fear? Have you become a slave to hate and money and shame and popularity and sin and self-centeredness? If you find yourself there, there's freedom in Jesus this morning. There's freedom in Him. Would you in this moment commit your life to him and surrender it fully? Knowing this, that Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. That we receive him as a gift. 
God, thank you for your scriptures. We pray over all of our lives that you would touch us in the midst of this difficult thing we call life. Jesus, we invite you into those areas where we've become a slave again. We ask that you would free us up from our very selves, that we'd have victory in Christ. Jesus, thank you for who you are to us. And I believe for this in Jesus' name. worship again just for a few moments and then I'll come and close with the blessing. Let's worship together.
in the conclusion of our service, if you would like prayer, we have the prayer team that will be coming forward to pray with you and to pray for you. I just want to encourage you again to remember God's love for you in Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. Amen and amen. Let's continue to worship. God bless. Without you.